0: Stories That Matter Studios, I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, the Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos, wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. This veteran broadcaster is one of the great journo survivors. Her face and honey dulcet tones are familiar throughout Australia, having delivered the biggest news around the world ever since she was the first Australian television journalist to cover news of the September 11 terrorist attacks. For five hours on that night of September 11, 2001, Sandra Sully talked Australians through the unfolding horror. She's continued to be a story leader as the first woman to co-host the Melbourne Cup, and travelling to East Timor to make a documentary on how the then new nation was coping post-liberation. In this episode of the Journo Project, we talk about Sandra's passion for storytelling, press freedom and feminism, highlighting women's
1: voices in her new podcast project, Short Black. Sandra Sully, a journalist, presenter, 10 News First, and consulting news editor, 10 Daily. Sandra, thank you so much. Welcome to Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. It's great to finally be here, Nance. We've been planning this forever, and now we're finally finally get to do it
0: well here we are at the channel 10 studios thank you for squeezing me into the hectic day that is sandra sully's work day i really appreciate that and uh, of course we're hot on the tail of the walkley awards the 64th walkley awards i think we should perhaps mention that first of course you were a host and i just came out so excited for the profession felt like it was a A rallying call for the troops to some degree with with your speeches with with Kerry O'Brien's speech how
1: did you feel? Oh look it was a real privilege to be asked to co-host and I'd never worked with Kieran Gilbert before so that was terrific. Uh, It was quite an honour to hear Kerry O'Brien go off um, and what he said you know, resonated with that room and hopefully with the audience at home. It was broadcast on Sky News Extra and the timing couldn't have been more important. Uh, however many months back, Louisa Graham and I had made a personal pitch to uh, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian to get some support for the Walkleys and let's face it, for the last six or seven years it had been in Queensland and Victoria but they were Labor governments that had supported the Walkleys and someone said to me how did you get the money and I said well Premier you know it can't just be a one way street all sides of the political equation need to support quality journalism it's a fundamental pillar of a strong democracy and it's time you guys pitched in and she sort of bristled and thought that was a bit cheeky Um, but that's my second name really and you know to full credit to her she took some time to make the decision and then when she did she said look I will I'll, I'll support journalism but I want year two I'll do it over two years the first year we'll do it in Sydney and we said of course you know we're happy for you to speak and and endorse your support of journalism I mean it's a good thing and the second year I want to take it regionally and um, everyone agreed on Tamworth and I think that's just wonderful our regional journalism networks have never been uh, under more pressure and newsrooms are closing across the country if not they're merging and uh, there's no better time to support regional It's sort
0: of reconnecting journalism and and the highest quality journalism, of course, that we all aspire to to back to the country roots in many ways, isn't it, I think?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it'll be I don't, you know, last night there was probably over a thousand people, it was was an amazing turnout and at the end of the day, all of the publishers and news organisations you know, broadcast, print, radio have to essentially you know, fund their staff to get there and we'd all, you know, pay our way for a ticket etc, but if it's regionally, you know, the networks and the press barons, you know, have to contribute and they're going to stump up and support regional journalism. Get and out that's... of the Sydney bubble. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's never a bad thing, is it? We all know.
0: So, Sandra, you, you had a, a great couple of intros about Press Freedom too. It's a tough time for the industry at the moment. You've seen it over, develop over decades. Is this the, the hardest time, would you say, or how would you describe it?
1: Uh gosh look you know for as long as I've been in journalism I've heard about the demise of our profession
0: it's so true and
1: it's challenged like never before probably but um in a different way these things morph and evolve and at the moment uh, press freedom is probably the biggest challenge um and fortunately, just about all media organisations for the first time in a long time have joined forces to make the point. We just need the public to get it. Uh, you know, I think the problem we have is the perception may be that it's driven by self-interest and really, you know, if you don't have good quality journalism. You don't have a, and if you don't have a free press, you know, you don't have a strong democracy and and things like the Banking Royal Commission would never have happened. There are so many stories that are current right now that wouldn't have happened without strong journalism. And I think the public are getting it, you know.
0: You think that we're, we're making that leap? I just wonder how we reconnect with the public, who ultimately journalism serves, I suppose. But uh, there does seem to be that underlying Aussie cynicism there as well, that perhaps we're just whinging journos who aren't getting our way, perhaps.
1: Look, I think you'll always speak in front of with that. Whether we win the battle or not, we've just got stay at it, you know, anything worth fighting for is worth fighting for. Sandra, if I could, I'd love to talk a bit about your more recent developments
0: as well as going back over your career. I see that you've gone into podcasting, so this is quite an experience for you. On the other side of the mic again.
1: Yeah, yeah, look, I'm really enjoying it actually. I mean, uh, taking a leaf out of your book, Nance, because you've been doing it a lot longer than I, but you know I've always been a a champion of, of women and strong women, interesting women, and for too long, I think. Uh, the men's stories being told loudly and proudly across you know all platforms but we've got a lot of really fascinating strong women out there doing remarkable things not necessarily well-known women and I really want to shine a light on those women and have those conversations it's not it's only gender specific in that the only people I talk to are women but it's not about gender it's about you know who you are what you're doing i I want their stories to be illuminated i want them to be highlighted i want people to realize that in their own backyard we we are surrounded by a slew of remarkable women and it's following on from your book that you did earlier in the year as well yeah exactly so for the last couple of years i mean i've always been a champion of international women's Mm -hmm. day because you know we're not there yet there's still a long way to go before we have true equality and i want my you know my daughters, stepdaughter, nieces, cousins, aunties, brothers, children, you name it. I want everyone to have a fair go and I don't want to see gender. So we've still got a way to go. We know the pay gap is real. Opportunities aren't completely fair yet. So a couple of years ago we, we started to sort of ramp up our efforts around International Women's Day and then I thought it would be a good way. It was timely really. No one had encapsulated the Australian woman's experience when it came to International Women's Day, we kept hearing about experiences for the women in Afghanistan and a lot of this was done through the lens of the UN and of course they... It's naturally done through them and they announce what the theme's going to be every year, but I wanted to capture what it means for Australian women. So then we launched... um, We did a portrait book called Agenda and I asked everyone, you know, the same five or six questions just so that we could... And these women were, you know, across eight generations, a broad spectrum of, of women, again, not necessarily famous, just women who I thought were interesting, making a mark, remarkable in their own way and could reflect the demographic of Australian women so you know from 15 to roughly 80 Um, and we're doing it again for 2020 we've got a really great fascinating bunch of women that I'm really excited about showcasing and that'll come out again um, you know around March 8 2020 so
0: well, thank you for celebrating these women and for coming to the women in media conference and making everyone excited there too it was great to see you there this year
1: I love it and I'm really passionate about it and I think the one thing that is important in anyone's career is that you maintain a consistency of approach and stay true to your values and it's always been important to me that women get a fair go and a lot of that stems from my upbringing you know and I remember uh, near the end of my final years at high school and women in the public service had to quit their job when they got married or fell pregnant and it Wasn't that long ago that it was incredibly unfair, and it's still in my DNA, and I, you know, won't really give up until we don't see gender anymore I think honestly the next big battleground is ageism I mean that's just another horrendous battleground that we've got a champion but um it's not because I'm just getting older (laughs) although if I could provide more opportunities down the track for myself there's nothing wrong with that but no I just you know I think all journos have a strong sense of righting wrongs and when you see injustice you have to speak out and speak up and uh, for me that's uh, that's a real passion project. As a
0: personal aside here Sandra I think what you're saying is true even in my experience how you brought me in for work experience and gave me that timeless tip, Nance bold colours, simple lines that's all you need to know but (laughs) (laughs) back in my bohemian days with my hair flowing and and I have passed that tip on to all my university students. Thank you Sandra. People don't realise we probably go back how many years now? I think 25, 30 maybe and you sent me flowers for my first job and truly it's those things though when I first got my break at the ABC and you said oh you're in the club now and you know you, you'll, you'll never look back and I think at the time you don't even realize how big pivotal those moments are unless a mentor or somebody that you respect really reminds you of it. I so was talking
1: to <laughs> someone about our chat ahead of this today mm-hmm. and they were saying well how do you know Nance and I said well You know, she was plucked out of regional uh, newspapers, suburban newspapers in Brisbane, and she was given the opportunity to get a cadetship at the ABC, or I think I encouraged you to go for it. That's right. And no, well, then you landed it, but the job was in Port Augusta, and you rang me, I think, and said, (laughs) what should I do? And I said, go for it. Because once you get inside the ABC, and I said, you'll be in a regional market, and one of the best things I ever did in those days it was considered with aggregation I went to Canberra and that was considered a regional market even though it was a cap city because they didn't have their own newsrooms and Mm. there was one or two but there wasn't one for each broadcaster etc. So I said go because once you go regional you'll get opportunities and if you're in the ABC family and you're in Port Augusta they'll ask you to do news and current affairs across radio and TV. You'll have opportunity. And I looked back and think you know you were a young girl in Brisbane and um, you know you had a tough family situation Mm -hmm. and it was a big call for you to pack up yourself and go boldly to Port Augusta Not that there's anything wrong with Port Augusta, but you didn't know anyone. Not a soul. And you were chasing a dream. And it took a lot of guts, Nance. It took a lot of courage, a lot of guts. And I remember when you got the job and you you know, you said I'm here and I thought I'm just I wanted to surprise you with some flowers. Just remind you that you might be a long way from home but you're doing the right thing.
0: Very vividly, Sandra. Thank you so much. And I just think we can all learn a lot from that. And I I tell I've been telling my poor uni students for decades that Get out of where you grew up and go to wider horizons because that's where you learn your craft.
1: Yeah, I think it's just... You know what you mentioned before about getting out of the Sydney bubble? You've got Mm -hmm. to get out of your own small world. Mm -hmm. You really do, to find perspective. And it, it really helps your journalism because... You know, we all do what we know and we're used to what we know and that just keeps getting reinforced. And until you step into someone else's shoes, get outside your comfort zone, do you start to see things from other perspectives and it can only be a good thing as you mature as a journalist. Which
0: brings me, I think, to a nice segue to do you still think of yourself as a Queenslander, Sandra? Always, (laughs) Nance. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go you might move out of queensland nah. but it still informs your journalism
1: oh. and everything either. well i think you can always take the girl out of queensland you can never take queensland out of the girl much to the annoyance of all of my colleagues particularly around state of origin because i annoy the heck out of them and i'm loud and proud and why wouldn't we be because we've only won it nearly Forever. But I'm glad New South Wales won last time. I have to admit, because there's nothing wrong, and there's nothing better than good competition, and it's important that New South Wales win occasionally. <laughs> It's good for rugby league. But
0: Brisbane stayed high, I see. What a what a great start! Did you have the dream of being a journalist right from then?
1: No, never. No, mm. no, no. I, I think I've told you this story. I'm not mm. sure. I fell into it completely by accident. So I was a health and fitness nut, and worked in health and fitness, and was studying at the time, in an associate for an associate diploma in recreation and health. Then I was an exchange student in the states doing studying phys ed, and I came back and I was working in gyms and. You know an aerobics instructor and too funny when I look back I forget, but I loved it because I was getting paid to keep fit you know and when I finished school I did not know what I wanted to do but in a nutshell I woke up and realized I discovered more of a hobby than a career probably wasn't going to pay my bills and in those days you know the profession of, of sports science really hadn't taken off there are lots of opportunities I noticed in the states but they're 15 20 years ahead mm-hmm. so I came back and one of the ladies in my running club You know go figure was um was a senior producer on a current affairs show at channel 7 in brisbane and uh, she was ready to leave and she was going to set up the entertainment for brisbane expo and she said to me i said you know can i come and work for you barb i'd love to do that because i we had five gyms 125 classes a week 25 instructors and i'm an organizational nerd i really am very um tedious when it comes to being organized (laughs) And uh, it drives my husband mad, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, It's what I need to do to, you know, do what I do. So she said, look, Sandra, you know, I'm not going to have a job really for another year or two. I'm in the advanced planning stages and... But she said, you know, you could... There's a job going at Channel 7 as a production unit manager in this current affairs show. And uh, I said, I don't know anything about television. She said, "It's not. you don't need to know anything about television. You need to be organised and you need to manage the newsroom. And I said, oh, look, OK, I was ready to do something. And at the time, I'd started a Bachelor of Business by correspondence, which was really dumb because, <laughs> you know, it was such a struggle. And studying by correspondence is hard yakka. But anyway... I just knew I was ready for another challenge. I just didn't know what it was, and I landed a job in a newsroom and swapped my degree for journalism. Got a cadetship, and you know, fell in love with. Journalism and just had no I I didn't know anything about the world and you know a year and a half down the track I was offered a cadetship and I remember saying to the news director why are you offering it to me when there are all these other journalists and graduates who studied and he said look you know critically with journalism it's the ultimate team game you know how a newsroom works um, you're smart enough oh you switch your degree and I'll teach you journalism and I've never looked back
0: sounds like journalism became your calling well it a was a
1: very serendipitous route but I I do think arguably whether you're successful or not life's about timing opportunity and what you do with it and for me I fell into journalism but I knew in my core that I loved it And I was very green, very nervous, so nervous because I grew up thinking journalists were born to tell the truth. I thought, I'm not that good, I'm not that honest, you know. (laughs) Anyway, but then I went, well, you know. And so one of the reasons I went to Canberra, I worked on the road in Brisbane Mm. for a year or two, and one of the reasons I went to Canberra was to get outside my family comfort Mm -hmm. zone and bubble and also to explore what I could do without feeling like I was under the gaze of family friends. I needed to make mistakes but do it in the safest way possible for me, which was without every... And, you Away know, I, from your people you love. <laughs> well, and I started in television, right? So, I, you know, the, the mere thought of making mistakes mm-hmm. and getting stories wrong in my hometown was mortifying. So then I went to Canberra and I also landed a job doing Breakfast Radio News and, you know, I figured I started a bit later than everyone, so I needed to pull the finger out, never afraid of hard work. So I, I did four months straight without a day off and then did two jobs for another year and a bit and that year they got self-government and one of the reasons I wanted to go to Canberra is I was very lucky early on to be taken under the wing of the state political correspondent in Brisbane and what a lot of people would not realise at the time was on the tail end of Joe's era Mm -hmm. and the Fitzgerald inquiry had begun and so when I was a cub cadet journalist I would go down with our senior reporter covering the Fitzgerald Inquiry and I would help him and observe. So I was I was on an observation shift at the back of the Fitzgerald Inquiry. At this most pivotal juncture in Queensland history. And I saw (laughs) Goliaths being taken down right Mm -hmm. and for me personally I went to school with the police commissioner's daughter. She was one of my best friends at school and I was watching one of my best friend's father end up going to jail. Mm -hmm. And it was such a galvanising experience for me when I realised that journalism does make a difference, profound difference to the quality of life, the communities we live in. And you do call people... You know, you do call out bad behaviour you have a chance to really affect quality change. So when I had the chance to go to Canberra, they got self-government. That was an aggregation started. Mm. So I'd had a year or two as this, you know, assistant cub political reporter. Mm. Really never filed. I just followed Mike Darcy around. He was so generous to me. And, you know, going down to the bare pit of, of Queensland Parliament then and seeing mm-hmm. Joe in the tail end of his career, mm. all of the brown paper bag era, watching Quentin Dempster every night, you know, and I got the chance last night at the Walkleys to sit with Quentin, who I had on a pedestal for my entire journalism career, is really an honour and such a privilege so... When I went to Canberra, I put my hand up for the political round and in those days you had a grading, right? So I was a D grade journalist. Oh, yes, I remember the grading. I got promoted to a C grade and they said, you know, can you cover the local round? They've just got self-government and I said, yeah, sure. And I did not know what I was doing. I jumped in the deep, (laughs) deep end, completely blind and deaf and hopeless. But, you know, the only way you learn really is you sink or swim. And I thought I can do this outside my comfort. Zone. I need to be completely immersed in discomfort to give myself a go. And I bet you were great. You've no, fun. I wasn't good. <laughs> I wasn't. But you got there. But you? I got there. You're still here. Um, yeah, look, I hung in there. They hung, <laughs> hung in there with me. I presented weather on weekends. I did mm. breakfast radio five mornings a week. And oh, then true. another year or so later, 10 went through big machinations in the days of, mm. of um, Frank Lowy and the network's changing hands. And, and they axed a couple of journos in the Canberra Bureau. And really, they wanted someone cheap and they didn't have to pay removal expenses and I live locally and they said we need a a cub in the Canberra Bureau do you want the job and I said yes please and I was working with Maxime McHugh and Paul Bongiorno you know so uh. I think there's a lesson in that though for us Sandra you've got to take these
0: opportunities particularly we're talking about you know the the wonderful feminism which you uphold and bringing women to light I think sometimes women can be uh, a little bit tentative still to take an opportunity that they think they're not quite ready for would that be fair to say
1: yeah absolutely and we get a lot of graduates through who really want their break in the big city newsroom and I think you know you haven't lived you know journalism about storytelling and life's experiences and merging the two and if you don't get out of your own comfort zone you're never really going to experience lot everything life has to offer
0: and by doing that Sandra you make yourself ready for the big incredibly huge events that at the time you couldn't even imagine predicting such as being on air when 9-11 happened in a strange way
1: yeah looked like that was again serendipitous I mean who could have predicted that I was in the chair that night and Mm -hmm. I don't really ever want to be the poster girl for September 11 and far from it but at the end of the day I was and I had to do the best I could and I survived um and you know nothing compares to being on the ground in New York and you know, 3000 or people died that day. So it's irrelevant what I went through. But as a journalist, I knew at the time I may or may not survive it professionally. All I could do was the best I could do on the night and and then try to process that experience and what, what I learned from it. Yeah.
0: And you've had some incredible stories through your career, Sandra, that I just wanted to go over and particularly even... Can you I... remind me because
1: it's a word... <laughs> <laughs> it's all a blur. Now I'm feeling really old. <laughs>
0: um, you know, you've covered federal budgets and royal weddings, and yeah. you know, I mean, it's taken you to to some great places. Is that what you hoped journalism
1: would do? You know, I, I've never been a goal setter. I'm ne- even though mm. I'm a, I'm very organised, I'm a planner in terms of what exacting the most out of every day, or extracting mm. the most out of every day. Right. So you know, I'm someone that puts my fitness goals in my calendar diary right so I, I work out how I can squeeze in a run or when I was in Canberra you know I'd listen to question time while I was you know out in the park having a run who does that I do because I could do two <laughs> things at once but I never planned and never had grand goals other than seeing where it could all take me you know so for me it's always been about an opportunity presents itself Am I ready? Do I think I can do it? Am I prepared to take a risk and have a go? Yeah, what have I got to lose? And when I first was given the opportunity to do some presenting, I mean I was just completely, I had no desire to be in front of the camera at all and I remember not just getting voice lessons, I had to get some presentation coaching because I was so nervous in the first update. My legs shook to the point my shoe came off and I didn't even know. Right, you know, and that was doing a pre-recorded update (laughs) because I had no ambition to be in front of the camera. But when I went through this process, this really clever woman in Sydney actually said to me, what are you living in fear of, you know? And it wasn't just failure. It was actually confronting the prospect of failure and realising I wasn't actually going to die. I'd never challenged myself to the point where I was presented with failure. I'd always charged along doing what I loved doing, and eager and enthusiasm would get me there, because it wasn't that I didn't consider the prospect of failure. I don't know if I'd ever really wanted anything badly enough right so then journalism was such a different world to me that I was so mortified that maybe I couldn't do it and would I embarrass myself and so this presentation coach really challenged that core fear we all have of of you know fundamental failure on a public scale Mm. right Mm. and when I realized that at the end of the day could I live with the regret of not having a crack
0: And then you presented the Melbourne Cup, the first woman to to do so. That was a big deal at the time, sort of funny looking back now perhaps
1: but uh, and, and I yeah <laughs> I wasn't brought up around horse racing I didn't know the first thing about it right but they kept reminding me that wouldn't you know I wasn't meant to be a racing expert it was really more about the fashion the color the celebrity of the day and over that seven years I learned a lot about racing and I fell in love with it and so then you know you're your way there's a lot of value in taking small steps but challenging yourself every step of the way
0: and I, I see you're going back to that with your podcast too, and interviewing some you know, the the racing <laughs> Fraternity.
1: Well, so look, you know, it was a really mm. exciting time for 10 to get the mm. Melbourne Cup carnival back. Um, mm. Channel 10 had it for 24 years and then we lost it. And, look, Seven did an amazing job. They really did. I mean, one of my – this might sound weird – one of <laughs> the best experiences I've ever had was when I had shingles of all things and I was <gasps> as sick as a dog. Oh, I um, But I got it for two weeks, couldn't move at all, but fortuitously the timing was the week of Melbourne Cup. So, of course, I couldn't move. Laid flat on my back and watched the Spring Carnival at home, (laughs) Melbourne Cup Carnival. You know, as a viewer and a horse racing fan, so that was a real joy and of course to see it. Through another set of eyes, you know, with another broadcaster. So when it came full circle, I got a chance. Um, I wasn't on the broadcast per se this time, you know, basically they wanted young blood and, you know, a fresh look, and I got that and I was really happy with that. You know, we presented the news out of Melbourne, but I thought, what an opportunity to showcase really important women in racing. And here's another funny timeline where life has a way of surprising you at the serendipity of it all. But when I first moved to Sydney, one of the stories I covered was Gay Waterhouse going for her trainer's licence and how unfairly she was treated as a woman and she was almost denied a training licence because of who she was married to. And she fought for two years and she got that training licence and there is the Waterhouse Act legislation that was changed and enacted in her name to ensure that no woman could ever be penalised again for what their husband does. So the chance for me to remind, you know, the millennials, Generation Alpha, whoever they all are out there, Mm. because I'm feeling really old, Um, but you know, life moves on and we all just get immersed in where we're at and what we're doing Mm. and it's nice to showcase Katie Page and Amanda Elliott and and, of course, Gay Waterhouse, and elevate their stories because they're really important in the evolution of racing. Amanda Elliott, who was once married to the amazing John Elliott, you know, first went to the Melbourne Cup. He was the first Aussie, and he suggested to them, I'll give you a million dollars if fosters can sponsor the Melbourne Cup. It was the first commercial sponsorship in the history of Australian sport. Right, so many amazing connections and tie-ins. You know those star-crossed moments that come back to remind people that storytelling is really important, and and we do need to learn the lessons, and it helps shape us as to who we are and the journeys we've taken and why we've ended up where we're at. You know, and why the fight's got to keep going. It's so
0: interesting hearing you talk about it, Sandra, because I think then you, you you've also been to East Timor. Like, I look at the string of different stories you've done, I almost think you were fearless but in fact you you were really pushing through to give yourself the chance to do that whatever qualms you might have had to tell the story would that be the reason yeah it was it was about
1: as much about experience and opportunity as anything else. So when I did Late News, which was nearly for 17 and a half, 18 years, towards the last, um, probably about the halfway mark, I was getting really tired. The hours mm, really, really brutal. knocked me around. Mm. And um, I remembered saying to the network, and because I was a network arguably person. I was getting asked and lots of demands from, you know, Adelaide and Melbourne and Perth and Brisbane and still wanting me to turn up every night and do those hours. And I started to say to them, look, I'm A, burning out, get I had shingles twice in two years, had glandular fever. And at the end of the day, if you don't look after yourself, you pay a price physically. So I came back to them and they said all right, log your hours and show me what you're doing and we'll I said I just want a nine day fortnight because I'm putting the same hours in that everyone else is doing, but I'm doing it in four days. And I was the only presenter doing an eight to nine hour shift and everyone else was doing a four to five hour shift and you know presenting an hour of news is the equivalent of a couple of other hours work so you know that's another story. In a nutshell though over that time I said to them but I'm also squirrelled away at an anchor's desk and I'm not on the road anymore so when I got a chance to renegotiate contracts I said look you know once a year can I get away from the desk and go and do something and they said sure we don't know what that's going to look like yet but We'll workshop together opportunities, and so an opportunity came up to celebrate ten years of Timor's independence, and um, we did it with along with the charity. But I got a chance to get away from the desk, get outside my comfort zone, and go and work on a doco and see Timor ten years on. Hello, amazing. <laughs> Was you know? it a confronting experience? Very, very, very confronting. Mm-hmm. But then I also, at one point, got to release orphan orangutans into the jungle in Borneo Brilliant. and did that for two weeks. Oh. Gold. <laughs> you know, so it didn't have to be down the predictable, you know, political route. It didn't have to be confronting in the traditional journalism sense. You know, it I got a chance to get away from the desk and explore other things i found interesting was passionate about you know so yes a lot of luck and good fortune but it wasn't without tenacity and and persistence yes you've got to be ready as one of my favorite sayings you can't
0: Control the wind, but you can set the sails. That's
1: a nice one, Nancy. I might have to adopt that one. <laughs> oh, thank
0: you. No. Looking back, it's been, um, yeah, quite a ride, but, uh, and it's not over yet, that's for sure. So, Sandra, I wonder, I, I find people get quite intrigued about how we find stories. Can you tell us a bit about how you, What is it a gut feeling for you? How does your antenna go off that you know this is a really ripping yarn that needs to be
1: told? Well, if there's ever injustice, it's a given. But I think the human story is is incredible. People overcome extraordinary adversity, tough times, life's challenges, and, and let's face it, a lot of those around us do it a lot tougher than us. And you know what that's like. I honestly believe all of us are only two or three missteps away from misadventure, ill health, mental illness, and homelessness. Um, it doesn't take much For a couple of bad knocks to set you adrift. And I think if you know that intrinsically I'm a patron of spinal cure and when I was a young journal in Brisbane before I became a journal, when I was in health and fitness I did some work experience at a disabled kids home and it always struck a chord with me the kids suffering spina bifida and muscular dystrophy and I've always been passionate about health and fitness and wanting to find a cure for spinal cord injury I think the difference that will bring to the world will be profound and I had the good fortune when I started in Sydney on the road to go to Government House and meet Christopher Reeve when he came out here. I mean, we're talking Superman who was crippled in a wheelchair. And I had a one-on-one with him and he was so impressed with our efforts in the spinal cord injury space. So for 20 years I've worked behind the scenes to improve the lot for spinal cord injury patients. We got 15 million dollars out of the New South Wales government this year to go specifically to spinal cord research. Not to improve the lives of carers, there are lots of other charities, lots of other work that we can do to help people have a better quality of life, but our focus is to deliver an outcome and the outcome is spinal cord injury cure and it is now the science is now so good it won't be a matter of if but when so be careful the Federal Minister for Health Mr Hunt because we're coming to find you because we want more money because it won't belong. and can you imagine? All of us see people in wheelch- wheelchairs, and they think, "Oh gosh, you know, it's a, it's a sporting injury, it's a car accident." No, it's Kerry and Kelly's husband who fell over at a golf club and tripped on a hedge. It's slipping in the bath. It's family members. I went to a girl at the school who should have been an Olympic swimmer, and went on a family holiday dived in a pool, became a quadriplegic, mm-hmm. committed suicide about five years ago. You know, it's it's the impact on the families. You know, if you... I think if we all understand the human condition and understand how frail we really are underneath it all, without the props and the support we have from family and friends and, and, and you know, having a great job gets us through, lots of other good things in life, you know, sort of mask the frailty that's just below the surface for all of us, that's the story. That's the story. The human condition is the story.
0: Everyone has a story. Do you think that, Sandra, it's just a matter of finding that outlet
1: for it, I suppose? Everyone has a story, yeah. Mm. Everyone has a good story. You know, it's just... It's, it's all in the telling. And that's a great thing about journalism. You know, you're constantly learning how to be a better storyteller. You can watch so many other platforms of storytelling in journalism and, and learn from them and work out how to be a better storyteller. You know, I'm not great, I'm okay. Um the great thing about podcasting, it's another challenge on how to you know, I can drop the mask of hair and makeup and and, you know, T V and cameras, I've only got to worry about a conversation. You know, but how do I elicit the best out of the interviewee and get them to tell their story i always tell them when we start a podcast that you've got to remember this is this is not about me i'm here to shine a light on you but i've got to get you comfortable enough to share your story and then i've got to get enough out of you and all those comfortable uncomfortable moments you don't want to share because you're too proud or you're too humble or whatever and you know that's the that's the art that's the craft that we keep you know keep finessing and that's the challenge and the joy it's lovely seeing
0: you so excited about journalism still Sandra I mean and I can see it sounds like you're enjoying that long-form interviewing again having the opportunity to really get into that
1: yeah absolutely but you know we came off the Walkleys last night and celebrated outstanding journalism across the board in every form and you're reminded how important it is you know and To be involved at whatever level on something that actually matters is a gift. To have a chance to be involved in whatever level, whatever aspect you're involved with it. I feel privileged every day to be a part of this industry. I really do. I love it.
0: Oh, Sandra, thank you. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much for joining the Journo Project. But is there anything else you'd like to add for uh, perhaps our our young millennials who I know have been jumping on because they know how to access a podcast? The only
1: thing I will ever say to other generations is chase your dreams, don't be afraid, Mm -hmm. um, but find the courage to challenge and stretch yourself. You never know where you'll end up, but enjoy the journey. Life can be short. Could be in the middle of nowhere in Port Augusta. That's right, and look what happened to
0: you. Didn't kill me. No, exactly. (laughs) Canberra didn't kill you. No, it could have. And it's tough. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Thank you, Sandra. That was journalist 10 News First presenter and consulting news editor of 10 Daily, Sandra Sully, speaking to me at Network 10 Studios in Sydney for The Journo Project.